and you may be seated. You know, last week we saw in Genesis chapter 1 um, that God had created men and women as equals. Uh, they have equal value, they have equal worth, and the reason for this is twofold. Both were created in the Imago Dei, that is that they were created in the image of God, and both were given dominion over all the rest of creation together. And uh, what we saw, though, is as we begin to move to chapter 2 last week, we saw that even though they are equal, that God has given them clear distinctions between the two. In other words, uh, he has, and primarily we see these distinctions in the roles that God has given them. Uh, God, we saw last week, give, gave the primary role to lead the family to the man. In other words, God in his sovereign will, in his sovereign wisdom, he gave the resp- primary responsibility to lead the family to the man in a God-glorifying direction. That everything that family does, whether it be finances, whether it be relationships, whatever it be that they, entertainment in their home, the man is supposed to set the direction for the family that all of those things are glorifying God. That means that he has the preeminent responsibility of the flow and what ultimately happens within the home. So that means that if the family, if the children within the family are rebelling, it means that the primary responsibility falls to the husband. It means if the family is getting into all kinds of debt, spending well above their means, and they're beginning to become crippled by debt, the husband is primarily responsible. If there is a lack of the word of God being taught in the home, a lack of prayer, if there is a lack of the family coming in, in, on a consistent basis into the house of God, then the primary responsibility, once again, falls to the husband falls to the man within that particular home. Now, that doesn't mean that a wife is without responsibilities or without a role. We saw last week that God said that he goes, I will make a helper for man. And we said that God has called men to be able to lead and we have called uh, uh, um, to be the head of the home and, we, and God is set apart as a role for women to come in to help. And we said so that you don't get all discombobulated over that and angry at that and say, well, I'm the help. I'm just the help. That's all I am around here, the help. That explains some things, right? Um, Before we get upset with that, what we need to remember is this, is what is more demeaning, um, being the one who helps or being the one who needs help. Do you guys remember that? We talked about that last week. And God looked at men and he said, he needs help. All right, and so he created a woman to come alongside and to be able to help. Now, does she have a responsibility to lead the family to faith? Absolutely. Does she have a responsibility within the home? Absolutely. Will she be held accountable for her role within the home? Absolutely. But the preeminent responsibility falls to the man. Now, here's the key. Once a man and once a woman, once they begin to truly understand the truth that's found in God's word, once they find out what their roles are and they fully submit themselves to God's authority into those roles for their life, that's when we find the family flourishing. That's when we find a strong home. That's when the family is at its strongest. That is when the unity within the home is really what God had ultimately intended it to be. Now, with that said, you, you would think that after last week, the moment that I begin to share those truths, and I even begin to share that this is where the greatest fulfillment is inside of the home, for men to lead their family, for women to, to come and to follow and to be the helper in their home. When they submit to God's will, that's when they find the most fulfillment in their life. 
I would have thought that after that message, what I would have had is all the men sitting there going, okay, I am going to follow and pursue male leadership in my home at all costs, Brother Mike. I was just waiting for the emails. I was waiting for for the phone calls going, I'm going to leave my home. This is just too good for me not to do. I'm going to forget everything else I do, and I'm going to make this a priority in my home. I'm going to lead them. I'm going to pray with them. I'm going to set the precedence in our home. I'm going to finally be the spiritual leader. And I was expecting some of the women also to come and sit there and say, well, Brother Mike, you're right. I've been trying to take the lead. I need to come and support my husband. I need to love him. I need to pray for him. I need to do the same. We've had these all out of proportion, and I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to follow God's primary and wonderful role for my life as well. But you know what's interesting is I believe that even in this place and even the many who maybe were here last week, when you left... Unfortunately, nothing even changed. Unfortunately, there were many men that really didn't even think anything about it. They just kind of sat there and thought, okay, well, that's stirring. But they never really took any steps to sit there and go, no, listen, this is for me. This is something that has to change. Or for our ladies to say, hey, this has to change. Now, for some men and some women, they might say, hey, listen, I tried this this last week, and it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Man, I'm a failure at this, and I just started just like a week ago, right? Now, my question for you is why? Why is it so difficult? Why is it so hard? Why is it that so many of us, after hearing the truth of God for, male, uh, uh, for, for manhood and womanhood and what the Bible says about that, why in the world, after hearing it, would so many people still remain passive and keep living the same life that they did before? And you know what? The answer to that, I think, is fairly simple. There's, there's just a simple phrase, and that is the curse, the curse. We see in the beginning of creation that after man and woman willfully rebelled against God and said, you know what? We're dethroning you. You're not our God. We're going to be our God. We're going to call things the way that we ultimately want it to be. We're going to do what is right in our own eyes. At that particular moment, the scriptures say something drastically changed. And that was that God in his righteous judgment in chapter 3 came and he judged the woman and the man. And that is what I suggest makes it so difficult for you and I to live out the life as a man and a woman that God has defined for us. That's why it's so difficult. And so what I want to do is with that premise suggested, what I want to do is based on that premise, I want to just show you in the word of God why I say that. And what I want to look at first is I want to see God's judgment on woman, primarily not to pick on ladies, but rather because it comes first in the text of Scripture in in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And what I want to draw your attention to is that there's two specific aspects of this curse that makes things far more difficult. The first thing that we see in the Word of God is we see the judgment in her area, and we're talking about the woman, in her area of responsibility in childbirth. Notice in verse, uh, in verse 16, the Bible says, To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Now, what we have to be careful to understand is, is to make sure that we don't misunderstand to think that what he's saying is childbearing came from the fall. It didn't. God had commanded the woman and said, listen, the man and woman, to be fruitful and multiply. And that is what we've done at Celebration, if you know many of us. Uh, We know how to do that around here with all the children that we have. Amen, amen, right? And uh, we've got a lot of children, and they're all a blessing. 
And so what happened, though, is God gave the primary responsibility to the wife in, in, in bearing those children, birthing those children. So that was a natural God-given role and responsibility that he gave to women. Men can't birth a child. Can I get an amen, men? Right? Amen. All right? And uh, thank Jesus. Uh, after four of them, I, again, every time I'm reminded, thank you for me and a man. Right? And, um, and so what, what the Word of God says, though, is it says at the fall, at the moments of the fall, what God said is he infused, he infused pain into her primary responsibility or into one of her responsibilities, and that is to have children. And so we know, and again, we know that it is painful. Can I get a amen women or an a woman or whatever you, how you want to respond to that, right? And so now after the fall, this thing that is still such a blessing, at one point before the fall, didn't experience the same pain. Now is going to come with incredibly mind-numbing, ridiculous, uh, words cannot describe kind of pain. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? And so, so that's what happens, first of all, with the fall, the judgment on God in the area of her responsibility of childbirth. But then we see it, it goes beyond that to the judgment in her relationship with her husband. Now, look at the latter part of verse 16. The Bible says, he says, your desire shall be for your husband. Now, when we read that, I know there's some men that just kind of are like, I like that verse. My wife's desire shall be for me. Man, that's a fantastic thing, isn't it? Well, unfortunately, it doesn't mean what you think it means, all right? And uh, where a lot of people have interpreted this, or some people that have interpreted this, is that they interpret it as sexual desire. And their argument is, well, part of the curse is that now we're attracted to men, all right? And that's a part of the curse. But when you read all of Scripture and you look at the context of Scripture, you see that this certainly is not the case. You understand in the Word of God that it always demonstrates a, a sexual relationship and desire for one another, a husband and wife within the family and in the marriage bond is always a blessing of God. He created it to be pleasurable between a husband and a wife within the confines of marriage. So we know that's not the case, and we know it's not the case because God had said, be fruitful and multiply. And one of the ways of getting his people to do that is to make it good, Okay. That's, that's it. We're moving on from that point to, to bring a power and, and, and make that good and make that desirable for them. And so, what, so we know that's not what it means. And if that's not what it means, then, then how do we interpret it? How do we come to understand what's going on here? When he says your desire shall be from your husband, the best thing for us to do is to interpret Scripture with Scripture. Where else in the word of God do we use that same Hebrew word? And if we can find it and how it's used, then that will shine light on how it's used ultimately here. Well, what we want to ask is not only in the whole word of God, but Moses is writing this book. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. So the question is, does he use that word again? And the answer to that is yes. He uses it one other time. So this is a very rare Hebrew word. And it just so happens that he uses it in the very next chapter. In chapter 4 and in verses 6 and 7. In chapter 4, what we find is we find the story of Cain and Abel. You remember this story? Cain and Abel, who are brothers, they bring their offerings before God. God loves Abel's. He despises Cain's. He rejects Cain's. And they were disobedient. Cain, in his anger and his bitterness, gets so angry and outraged. And in a fit of jealousy, he goes and he kills his brother. And then he's confronted by God here in chapter 4. And God comes to him in verse 6 and says, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door 
Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. See that word desire? Same exact Greek word being used in the two things. Now, what does he mean by desire in this context? Well, notice he says that sin is crouching at the door. He gives this like illustration, this picture where you see almost like this wild animal about to guard near the door on its haunches, waiting for Cain to come out, for him to be able to jump on him and to be able to attack him and for him to be to overcome him and subdue him. Well, the question is, is that exactly how he meant it in the previous chapter, in chapter three, speaking of a woman and her desire for a husband? I would say that it is, first of all, he uses the same rare Hebrew word. Secondly, he uses the same six words in both accounts in the original Hebrew, and they're in the exact same Hebrew order in both places. I don't believe that's by an accident. I believe what he's trying to do is trying to draw a correlation between the two, and therefore he's telling us what it means for a woman to desire her husband is it refers to an inward urge or compulsion to rule her husband. He says what she's going to do now, the curse is she's going to have an inward urge that she's, there's going to be something in her that's going to want to make her correct, lead, encourage, and even correct her husband. There's going to be something deep down inside of that. Now that kind of makes sense. Why? Because that was her original fall. That was her original sin. And the original sin, she, she rejected God's role that he had for her, and she usurped the authority over her husband, so she wanted to become a leader. So in essence, in the fall, in the judgment, God says, you want to lead? I'm going to turn you over to your sin. I'm going to turn you over to your sin. Now in your heart of hearts, what you're going to want to do is you're, you're not going to feel good by following his leadership anymore. You're constantly going to be questioning. There's going to be a part of you that's going to want to uh, 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 sit, sit there and say, hey, that's good, but this is better. You follow me. He said, that's a part of the curse. And that's how it was impeded upon woman. Now, what happens to the man? Let's look at God's judgment on man in verse 17. Again, there's two different parts of this. First of all, he judges in an area of his responsibility, primarily his work. And then he's going to judge in the area of his relationship with his wife. Notice the first one in his judgment in the area uh, of his responsibility, work. Um, the Bible says, and to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you. Now, did you notice that? He doesn't say just simply because you ate of the tree. He said this first sin was that he listened to the voice of his wife. Not that he wasn't supposed to listen, but what he did instead is he wasn't taking his spiritual responsibility to lead the family. That was his first sin, not taking of the tree. The taking of the tree was just a demonstration that he wasn't being the spiritual leader that he was ultimately supposed to be. So he says, this is the sin. And then he says, now what happens? He says, curse is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of all of the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. So here's, now make sure that we understand something. The curse is not work. I know sometimes we feel that way. Oh, we got to go to work, right? The curse is not work. God gave man work as a wonderful blessing before the fall, just like the childbirth thing. And before the fall, it was a wonderful thing. Here's why. Because when he was trying to work the ground, 
work, the ground wasn't fighting back, okay? He, was, he, he had dominion over the creation. So everything he set his hands to do would ultimately prosper. So what happens now? Now, as he begins to till the ground, as he begins to work, he finds frustration because now there's thorns and there's thistles and all these things are beginning to happen that begin to frustrate him. Men, how many of you can identify that with work? You put your heart and your soul and you work so hard and you're looking for something good to be able to come about, but how frustrating that work can ultimately become. That's why so many are like, man, the earlier I can retire, the better, right? Get me out of this thing. And part of the reason is because of that fall. It's the sweat of work, not work in and of itself. But notice how the curse and the judgment of God also negatively affected uh, his, his relationship with his wife because it was an infusing of pain into that relationship. If you look back up at the end of verse 16, when he says to woman, he says, for your desire shall be for your husband. Here's the second aspect of the man's curse. He says, and he shall rule over you. He shall rule over you. Again, what does the word rule mean? When you look at that Hebrew word and you look at how it's used in the rest of the word of God to understand what he's getting at here, we find it in several different passages. One, we find it in Judges chapter 14 and verse 4. There it describes that Philistines' cruel rule over Israel, okay? Then in 1 Kings chapter 4 and verse 21, we see it speak of King Solomon ruling over the nations by force and by military might. It's not that he's, they're trying to lead them. He's forcing them and he's ruling them to do what it is that he wants them to be able to do. So now what we see is we see this twofold thing. We see these two problems. We see that both of them are cursed. First of all, let's, let's sum this up. The first thing that we see in summary is this. We see that the judgment is in the area of each of their responsibilities, both men and women. Pain in childbirth, pain in working. But then one of the greater, what we're really trying to focus on here primarily is the pain that was brought into the relationship themselves. Now the woman will no longer want to submit, but rather she will want to rule her husband. Remember, God in the very beginning said, listen, the perfect place for you is to follow your husband's leadership, to submit to his authority, to come and to be able to use your gifts and abilities to support him, to be what God has called him to be. Now, guess what? That's reversed. Now, she doesn't want to submit to the authority. She wants to buck up against that authority. She doesn't want to be under that authority at all. She doesn't even like the word authority. Like some of you, I can tell by the way you're looking, you don't like that word. I don't know what other word to use, but, but she doesn't like that. And what that's going to do is that is inside of the flesh of her that's combating that relationship. And so what she's going to do is instead of using her unique gifts and abilities to help her husband, now she's going to use her unique gifts, abilities, femininities, and everything else to manipulate her husband to get him to do what she wants him to do. And so now, not only do you have her rebelling against that authority, but now you have the man completely misunderstanding how he's supposed to ultimately lead. Because now, he, even though he has been called to be this humble, loving, submissive servant, to come alongside his wife, to help her, to lead her to godliness, to lead the family by example, the family to, uh, in a direction of godliness and, and to glorify God. Now what is he going to do? Instead of leading them and using his, 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 um, his abilities and his authority to lead to that, now he's going to use his authority and his dominance and his power to get what he selfishly wants. What he selfishly wants. 
And that's why we see in the worst course, in the worst scenarios, we see women being beaten, women being verbally beaten, women being verbally abused, uh, men coming and trying to bow up against them and trying to demonstrate their superiority in order to get them to submit, to do exactly what they want, not for any good purposes, but for what? For their own selfish desire and their own selfish wanting. And so what we find is the curse, to, now what we need to understand is this is where the feminist, and when I use the word feminist, I used it last time, I don't mean women. I mean anybody who is a feminist. Men can be feminist. And what they do is they say there should be no distinctions between men and women. Remember, we talked about that last week. And they said anything a man should do, a woman should be able to do, and they should have the same roles, and there should be no distinctions whatsoever. So feminism has tried to remove all of that completely, but it's the very thing that God has created for there to be for a man to lead his home and for a woman to help him in that, uh, in, in this particular marriage. But what we find is, is, is they come and they say, see, it's the fall that caused a man to be the leader. But it didn't. God calls, called it to be a leader. That was his original intention from the beginning of creation. The curse did not bring about new roles for a man and a woman, but rather distorted those roles they already were given. Now, both of them are confused on how to do it. Even women today that I know are born again, they'll sit there and go, what is that, what is that helping look like? I struggle with that. What does that look like? Men are sitting back struggling going, what does that leadership look like? Why? Because of the fall. Because of the fall. Because of sin that has happened inside of us, inside of our flesh. Now, instead of marriage being a place of perfect harmony, it has now become a place of perfect chaos. You know, some of you can relate to that, can't you? All of us can relate to some extent. Is there ever the time, and I know you guys that have been married for 50 years, you never have any arguments, everything is all perfect, but for the rest of us, it kind of goes something like this. I mean, even my wife, we don't argue a whole lot because I've learned my place. No, I'm just joking. That's not it. See, that's, that's joking, but that's not true. But what happens is, is we come, and you guys know the, the tension that can rise up from just about anything, right? In a regular day-to-day basis. And here's what she's doing. She's sitting there, and she's going, I don't like his authority, And I'm sitting there and going, I'm the man. I'll make you recognize my authority. I'm the man. I wear the pants in this house, right? All right? And so what we find is, is that might be kind of in the culture and everything else, but what he says is that is complete, completely saturated with sin. That's not what God had intended whatsoever. And so you have a wife that refuses to submit to the authority. You have the husband that has no idea, completely abuses his authority within the home. And so no wonder we have divorce after divorce and fight after fight and conflict after conflict. See, you guys were told by some secular psychologist somewhere, it was just because your mommy didn't buy you Nikes as a little kid. But now you understand why you're having marriage problems, right? Within the home. It's amazing what the Word of God ultimately teaches us. And so, folks, for many people, even sitting here today, man, you're feeling a little bit hopeless. You're sitting there going, man, in the midst of this, is there any hope? And what I'm going to say is there is hope. See, right before God began to give and lay out all of these, all of this, um, uh, uh, all of these curses and all of this judgment on man, he gave a gracious, joyful word of promise. And right before this, he began to hand out the judge to the serpent. And he says there in verse 15, he says, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And he goes, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So something interesting is happening here. What God's doing is he is promising that the curse one day will be broken. How? 
Well, this verse is such an important verse. Circle it, underline it, because this verse is what we call the Proto-Evangelium. Isn't that a neat word? What it actually just means is it's the first gospel. It's the first mention and promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What he promises is this. He says, through that woman, what will happen is there will be a man, there will be an offspring that will rise up from her, and this offspring, his heel is going to be bruised by the serpent that sowed these lies to the woman. And he says, in this, but this, this offspring is going to bruise the head of that serpent. And folks, what does that remind us of? It draws, it's telling us of what's going to happen many, many years uh, uh, in the future when we get to the New Testament, when Jesus Christ comes on the scene. This is the offspring that was promised by God all those years ago from the very beginning, a promise that things were going to change. And when he comes, what does he do? Is he bruised? Yes, he's bruised for our transgressions. He's crushed for us. And so what ultimately happens is this, he's bruised and he's crushed, but is he eliminated? Is he destroyed? Is, is, is he, the, the, does the devil have victory over him? No, he has victory because he dies and he, rise, he rises again on the third day. That's the victory. But what happens to the serpent? The serpent's head is crushed, which means that he can no longer do any true ultimate harm, which means this, is that he is going to use God. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he would make things right once again because he would break the curse by breaking the curse of sin and death. So when people are born again, when they repent of their sin, recognize that they're lost, recognize that they are, they are deserving of the wrath of God because they've rebelled against their creator. When they come to that and the spirit works in them and they repent, that means they turn from that sin, want nothing to do with it, proclaim to God that they are a sinner and then accept by grace Jesus' completed work on the cross through his death, burial, and resurrection. At that particular point, guess what happens? He becomes a new man. She becomes a new man. And what God does is at that point, he starts regenerating that person. That person becomes a new creature in Christ. Their spirit becomes new. And so what they have now is they now have the ability to follow God and to do exactly what it is that God had called him ultimately to do. Do you see that? He broke that through his death. Now he's given them the ability. And so here, if he, if he recreates, we see the creation, then we see the recreation at the coming of Jesus Christ and the birth of the church. And if that's what it was, we would think then that if God was starting over and reversing the curse and wanting us to go back to the way that it was in the garden, you would think he would command us then to take on those same God-given roles that he did back in the garden. Wouldn't you expect that? Well, guess what? He does. And the book of Colossians, we see this, the command to live out God, our God-given roles. In Colossians chapter 3, in verses 18 through 19, the Bible says this, Wives, be subject to your husbands as it is fitting to the Lord. Now, what does that sound like? It sounds like the teaching and the roles that God gave them in Genesis chapter 2. Then he says, husbands, love your wives. How? He says, and do not be harsh to them. What is he doing? He's undoing the curse. He's saying, go back to the way that it was when I first created you. Because why? That's the place of peace within that home. That's the place of fulfillment between you and your, and, and your husband. Now, we can sit back and we can think to ourselves, let, let me tell you the mistake that we often make. I often find folks who sit there and they go, well, man, if this is the way it is, this is just the way it is. 
If we're underneath this curse, then, hey, we ought to just let things go. I've actually heard people argue that way and think that way. They think, well, listen, we're under the curse now, so if we're under the curse, then I should be able to get my way as a man and be able to rule my home, and I should be the one who's ultimately in charge, and they should do what I say. All right? That is not where God wants the believer to go. The believer is supposed to recognize the work of Jesus Christ in their life and God's ultimate plan as it's revealed in the book of Revelation, that he will create a new heaven and a new earth, and you and I will bring all things under subjection to the will of Jesus Christ. You got that? So that means this. That means we don't try to increase the pain, labor pains for our wives, do we? Even though sometimes I think I did it and I didn't really intend to. By sitting there going, can I get anything for you? Can I get anything for you? Can I get anything for you? And she's just like, just shut up! I love you. Just shut Right? And, 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 but we don't sit there and go, hey, no, we want to help them. We want, to, we want them to, to alleviate that pain. If you're gardening, which I don't do, I don't have the patience for, but if you're gardening, you don't sit there and say, listen, we're under the curse. Let's just live by, let's go and find some really great thorns and thistles and sow it into our garden. Wouldn't that be great? No. Because we recognize as God's, but that he's recreating all things and renewing all things, then we need to renew the home. We need to renew once again and submit to the role of a husband and the role of a wife in which God has intentionally had purpose to give them from the very beginning. And so that's where we find the word of God. Now, let me take the last couple minutes just to give you some application. The first thing in the word says this. First application, as a believer, you have been given both a desire and the ability to fulfill your God-given role. There was, a, there was a note uh, in, in, in the offering plate, and I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out there again. Uh, please don't write notes in the offering plate. Uh, email us. Come and talk with us. Call with us. Uh, just don't put notes in the email. It, it's, just, it's just frustrating, okay, because people just don't write, it, write a note. On, and usually we just dump it. But my secretary and the discernment that she has, she brought it to me anyway. And, uh, and here's what happened is in it, um, a, a woman was asking. I could hear the hurt uh, in her voice. Uh, but basically what she said was, she says, listen, my, my husband doesn't go to church. Uh, my husband, uh, um, uh, you know, he, he's not leading our family. Uh, how can, what can I do to help him uh, to begin to lead the family? And this is what I first thought when I first read that. First of all, the first thing that came to my mind is, if he's not in church, if he's not leading his family, and this is a consistent pattern for him, then you've got bigger troubles than what you know. He's lost. I'll just tell you, I would love for you to prove it anyway from the word of God. Go back and listen to our series in 1 John in the book of James. If you're not consistently in the fellowship of God's people with God's people showing that love, you cannot tell me a person can be out of church forever and ever and sit there and claim to be a believer just because he was dunked one day or signed a card or joined a church and that's what makes him safe. The Bible says if he's truly born again, he's gonna live like he's born again. Y'all with me? So the key to that is if that man is just falling out and he's not a part of it and he's not showing evidence of being a Christian, guess what? He's not a Christian. So no matter what you do, you're not going to be able to get him to to lead. You're not going to be able to help him to lead. What you need to be able to do is follow Peter's advice. You need to be able to come and you need to submit to him fully and completely. Not to be nagging to him, not with many words, but uh, but, but to win him over with your love for Jesus Christ and your submission to him and to pray for him. That's what you do. Now, if there is a man, now I think it's a great question. Ladies, how can you, and this is where people are asking, right? Well, how can I help my husband lead? Let me just make sure that we're very clear on something. Make sure, first of all, that your motivation is correct. Because I have heard a lot of women, and I'm not so sure about their motivation. I've heard women sit back and go, you know what? I just can't get my husband to lead. He just won't lead. 
I've done everything. I need somebody. I'm such a victim. Look at me. Oh, I'm just crying. I just wish you could be a lead. And what I'm saying is there are those that are truly authentic and you see the brokenness. And then you are some of those that just like to exploit their husband for their own good to get attention for themselves. Now, this is rough, but it's true. It happens all the time. And what they'll do is, and this is what I would suggest to them, do you truly want to help them or are you still trying to dominate them? Are you saying, how can I help them? Or are you ultimately saying, how can I make them? If you're trying to make them lead and be the spiritual leader, then you're in sin again because you're trying to force the relationship and you're trying to be the spiritual leader of your home. But ladies, if, you're tr- if your heart is truly broken for your husband, here's where you begin. You begin with prayer. Say, oh dear God, would you just please help and be the strength. Bring maybe some conviction if conviction needs to be there. But allow him to take the lead inside of our home. Second thing that you do, you make sure that you're focusing on your own relationship, that you're submitting to the authority, even, even though it's imperfect. You submit to him and say, man, you're the leader. I'll go the way that you want us to go. Here's the third thing that you do. You make your request known to your husband. You ask. But you have to be very careful in the way you ask. See, the picture of, of Christ in the church, or, or of, the, of, the, of the home, of the husband and the wife, in, in, as we'll see in Ephesians chapter 5 next week, is a picture of Christ in his church. He's the bridegroom, we're the bride. And what do we do when we need something from Jesus? What do we do? We, re, we make a request known to God. We say, Jesus, this is what we need. Do we come in arrogantly, give me? No, we come in humbly saying, hey, listen, here, here's my need. And then we, we trust him to meet that need, right? Ladies, here's what you do. In prayer, making sure that your heart is right, making sure that there's no pride in your heart or you're not trying to manipulate him, you come to him and you say stuff like this, honey, I've been convicted by this and I'm just gonna ask you, my heart of hearts and my heart of desire is for you to provide biblical leadership for me and for this home and for our kids. Would you pray with us? Would you initiate that each day with us? Just, one, just, just start with a prayer. Would you just pray for us? Would you do that? Would you maybe even get into the point, can we grow into the point where maybe you can even open up the Bible and just read a couple of verses for us? Would, 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 would you do this for us? Would, would you help us in this particular way? And so what you do is you lay that at his feet to do as he ultimately is going to do, but you've done your part. You're a helper. You've come humbly and you're sitting back relying upon the Lord Jesus Christ to follow his leadership. That's what true submission is all about. Do you see that? And let this be a warning to some of you. Some of you who are sitting here and you're just sitting there going, man, it's really not that big of a deal if I'm dating somebody or engage with somebody. It's not that big of a deal that I'm unequally yoked with an unbeliever right now. Man, you are in for a world of hurt. Did you just hear what we said the curse was? Self-centeredness, trying to manipulate, trying to be arrogant, trying to get what they want. Listen, if you don't want to be treated that way, the way for you to go is you need to get a godly man who's living for the Lord Jesus Christ fully and completely, who's submitting to his lordship and sits there and says, I want to go back and have the real role within a family that I have. If not, and if you do it, man, I'll tell you what, I just ha- ha- may God have mercy on you because it's just not going to end well. It's just not going to end well. And, uh, and there's a lot of women in this church. And, and I don't mean to take my, is it okay if we just talk about this just for a minute? Is that all right? Because there's some women right here, I'll tell you what, man, they, they became believers after they got married. And they could sit there, I could take lady after like godly woman after godly woman come up here. And they are truly godly women. And they're even following the leadership of their husbands. But they would come up here and they'd sit there and they'd go, sit there, sister, run. 
run. They love their husbands dearly. They have an even pretty good relationship, but man, their heart of hearts because of a godly woman is one to follow a spiritual, a, a godly man, and they can't do it. They don't have the opportunity to do it, and they tell you to run. Now, so what we see here is this, is we see there, there's this desire, and what I'm suggesting by a desire is when somebody is truly born again, when it's truly born again, man, I believe if the Holy Spirit's dwelling in you, then the greatest desire you want is to lead your family spiritually. So what I'm suggesting is, if you're a believer, you have that desire. If you don't have that desire, you need to see and make sure that you're in the faith. If you have no desire to lead, here's why. You can't be a lost person sitting here and say, I want to be the man of God that wants me to be. Does, that, does a lost person say that? No. But if it's a true desire, it's not something that can be, that you can work your way up to or try to prod yourself up to. It's just something that the Holy Spirit does. He gives you that desire inside of your heart. And inside, I believe, those godly men who are here, those men who have Jesus and are safe, are sitting there going, I want to be that man. I want to be that man. The women are saying, I want to be that godly woman. But here's the thing. Give you the, the, the desire, but they also give you the ability. How do they give you the ability? Because sin has been broken in your life. Jesus Christ, when he died on that cross, he broke that bondage of sin. And now through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can be the man and woman that God has called you to be. You can be the spiritual leader in the, perfect, in, in the way that God has called you to be because the power of God living inside of you. He's working in you. You've got to work out what he's worked in. Are you with me? Y'all with me? Say amen. Second thing we see in the scriptures is this, is not only as a believer have you been given both the desire and the ability to fulfill your God-given role. Number two, though you have been given both the desire and ability to fulfill your God-given role, you will fight, you will have to fight against sinful flesh every day. See, even though God has restored our souls, our bodies have not been restored. This, believe it or not, is not a glorified body. I know it's hard for you to believe, isn't it? right? It's not a glorified body. And so the idea is what the scriptures say is where is that going to come later at the end? When we see him and we appear and we're snatched up with him in heaven, eventually after the final thing, we'll be, we'll, we'll be given new bodies and, and, and all of creation will be restored as the way that he wants it. But until then, you're still living within a sinful flesh. And please understand this. This is where you feel like you're schizophrenic. There's where you're sitting there going, I want to lead, I want to lead. Men, listen to me. I want to lead, I want to lead, I want to lead. But your flesh is sitting there going, dude, I don't feel like leading at all. Part of you is sitting there going, man, I want to be the guy that reads the Bible. But when you get off of work and you're going home, going, man, dude, I don't want to be the guy that reads the Bible. I want to pray with my wife. But your flesh is sitting there and going, dude, you're going to look like an idiot. She knows a lot more about the word of God than you do. And she might end up correcting you. I heard about the curse, what she's going to do. All right? And so you begin to kind of think all these things, but what I'm saying to you is each and every day, you have to fight against the flesh. Listen, I have to fight, not all the time, but a lot, to serve my wife. I just have to. Because my flesh is tired, and my flesh is weary, my flesh is self-centered. But I have to sit there and go, but God, this is the right thing to do. God, give me the strength to do it, God. You're my strength. This is what you call me to do. Now empower me to do it, and I'll follow you in obedience. Here's a couple things that you can do according to the flesh. First of all, remind yourself continually of your God-given role. Here's what people don't do enough. They don't reflect on the word of God enough. Each and every day, man, when we wake up, the first thing we should do is sit there and go, listen, I was created for the glory of God, and I was created to lead my home. Today, God, I commit myself to lead my home and remind myself of the teaching of the word of God. 
The second thing we do, recognize your sinful desires for what they are. Instead of sitting there making excuses for your sinful desires and your anger in your home and saying, well, I just had a bad day, or, you know, I deserve something. I work around here. I make the money. That's why I think we can get in debt. Stupid, right? You sit there and go, man, I have all of these desires and their unctions, and it is real. It is a real compulsion. But you know what? Because of God's truth, I recognize this for what it is. It's sin. It's the fallenness of the flesh. Ladies, men, can't you, can you identify with me with that? Can you guys identify? Now, ladies, I can't really completely identify, but can you identify with this truth that there are times that you just sit there and go, he's not leading well. He really needs to be doing this. Boy, we wouldn't be in this mess if I was the one that was leading this thing. Is there ever any kind of compulsion there at all that's within you? You need to identify what that is. It's identified from the fallen flesh and you need to recognize the word of God and remind yourself of it. Here's the third thing. Return to the pattern of scripture in Luke chapter nine and verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up the cross daily and follow me. Man, you gotta die to the flesh. You gotta die to that thing. Every day you just have to do and starve it to death. Sometimes I just get up and sometimes I just clean the kitchen or vacuum. You know why? Just to kill the flesh. Just to kill it. Your flesh doesn't die sitting on the, uh, on the couch, sitting there going, man, I hope this flesh dies because I just don't want to get out of this thing. The way it dies is you do what it hates. You sit there and go, man, my flesh is going to hate me reading the word of God to my family, but it's what God has called me to. This is what I'm going to do. You see what I'm saying? So that's what we do, die daily. Here's the third thing, and I'll, I'll try to go quickly. In your, in your fight to fulfill your God-given role, you will find yourself making two errors, the errors of aggression and passivity. This is usually where men and women often find themselves on two different sides. What, what a wife will do, and again, you have to follow and make sure that, that you are encouraging your wife in the right way, but that you're not being the usurper. You're not trying to sit there and you're not nagging your husband. We talked about that just a, just a little bit. Ladies, let me tell you something just a little bit. Some of your husbands are just intimidated by you. Because you read the word, you study the word all the time, you listen to the word all the time, you, you listen to it on the radio, you, 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 you've got Christian t-shirts, and that just really freaks your husband out. And you've got, you go to these women's seminars. I'm not saying anything that's wrong, but what I'm saying is for some of them, when they don't know that area of the Bible, they feel a little bit intimidated. So you're gonna have to tread incredibly lightly and humbly before your husband, or you're gonna really want to take that lead over them and usurp his authority. On the other side, you need to guard against passivity. And passivity is this side. Sometimes you sit back and you preach a message like this and all of a sudden, it's like we can never get it right. We're always one extreme or the other. And, and what happens is a woman sits there and goes, oh my goodness, I've tried to encourage my husband. I'm not saying anything anymore. I'm gonna be quiet and I'm gonna be submissive. I'm not gonna say anything. So there's the husband driving his whole family off a cliff and she's like, I've gotta be submissive. I'm gonna be silent. I'm not gonna say anything. And they drive off the cliff and she goes, it wasn't my responsibility, baloney. What God has given you is to be a helper of your husband and when you're leading in the wrong direction, you've got to come in humility and love and in safety of that marriage and say, honey, we're going off the wrong direction. I think that we need to reconsider this and go the opposite way. So you don't want to be too strong one way or the other way. And, and so what we want is we want to be joyful, intelligent. We want to experience a joyful, intelligent submission. You're not checking your brains at the door. You're not being a doormat, but what you're doing is you're humbly coming and saying, I want to follow your lead, but this is what I think is important. Let me tell you how this looks a little bit, just very quickly. Y'all still with me? Very quickly, here's, what, here's how it works. So some people sit there and go, okay, well, I guess I got to be the man. 
And uh, I'm going to make some decisions. And so the wife, you know, goes one or two ways and she's submissive. Let me kind of give you a little bit of a picture from my own broken, kind of messed up world. This is how we try to make it work in, in our home. We try to make it work like this. We sit there and say, you know, we got this financial decision to make. Or honey, we're thinking about a place to go or something to do. Or, or we're thinking about how to lead our family. And what, what I have to do as a leader, I don't always have the answer, right? So what I have to do is I have to come with my wife and say, honey, now here's me leading in the direction of godliness. We need to do something here. I'm not really sure what to do. What do you think about this? And then we begin to talk and we begin to discuss. And what I do is she says something and I go, that's stupid. <laughs> no, I don't do that, okay? She says something and I honor her by listening to what she's saying. And I said, yeah, but what about this? And usually she and I are like, back and forth, right? Have you ever done this, right? And then, and then at the end, I don't sit there and go, well, listen, I'm the man, so I really make the call. <laughs> I know you want this. No, that's not how it works. Almost every time in 13 years, I can only think of one time when we didn't make the decision together. I think this is what God wants. I, I initiate this. I lead this in the family. I find out what both of us believe, and I don't make a decision unless my wife and I are in 100% agreement. I just don't do it. I just don't do it. If she's, if she's got a catch in her spirit or there's something thing that she's just not good with this thing, it's just not worth it to me. I'm just not going to go in that direction. But here's why. One time I did. Several years ago, I bought a car. And she came to me, and I tried to pull out that little masculine thing. Well, I'm the man. I'm the man, right? And so she came to me, and she says, listen, I just don't think it's wise. I know the car's got a lot of miles on it, but I just don't think it's wise to go and get that car. And I sat there and said, okay. And she said, well, listen, if, if you really want it that bad, then we'll go ahead and do it. She goes, the only thing is, and here's the right decision, uh, we're okay right now. Go ahead and just give that car to somebody else who needs it right now. Just don't try to sell it. Give it to somebody. We know some folks that need it. That'll be a great help to them. So that was her godly advice. Well, I went down, you know, because I put my man pants on, bought the car, and was the worst nightmare of my life. The car that was supposed to, you know, on record, be the greatest car in the world by everything I ended up getting, and the $8,000 car that I bought, I spent $7,000 in the next year trying to fix the stupid thing. I got tired of the mechanic going, this is unheard of. This never happens to this kind of car. <laughs> right? And so what do you do? But here's the deal. Even though my wife and I lead the direction, and when we have those problems and we need the direction, even when she brings it to my account, I'm the leader in that thing. I sit there. I listen to my wife. We try to work out that decision. We seek God until we can come to agreement. Then I make the decision. But let me tell you something. Even when we're 100% agreed and we make that decision, I'm still ultimately responsible before God, not my wife. That's how it looks. That's how it works. The Bible says that not only that, so ladies, what we're looking for is a joyful, intelligent submission. Men, not to be a tyrant. Um, this works two ways. You know, some, I, I guess it's just us being in the South, you know, chewing skull, you know, wearing boots, you know, doing all this other kind of stuff. I don't know what, riding bulls. I don't know what it is. We got bull riders, which is awesome. Not me, them. And so what we do is this, is we come in and it's just kind of like, listen, I'm a man in my home. And I've seen how people define this. I'm the man, of, I'm, I'm the man in my home. You know what I'm talking about, right? You know, I sit down on my couch, and when I shake that iced tea glass when there's no tea in it, you know, all of a sudden, my, my girl knows to come and give me some tea. Man, if I did that in my house, <laughs> there'd be ice, but it wouldn't be in the cup. You, you, you got what I'm saying? And so, so it's, just, it's just the way culture is there. But guys, you don't need to be a tyrant, but here's the deal. There's a real good chance that, and, and this is what we're praying, that God's going to get a hold of you, man, through this study and through this retreat we're having. And you guys are going to sit back and some of your men are going to go, I'm going to commit. This is who I'm going to be. I'm going to lead. Let's walk together. Let's see what this leadership is like. But some of you are going to go way off the deep end. 
Some of you are going to sit there and you're going to come home and you haven't led one day in 17 years of your children's life. And you're going to go, let me tell you how it is. This is what we're going to do. Every day we're going to have an hour of Bible study. You're going you're gonna to get out of sport. You're going to get out of everything ultimately. And this is what we're going to do. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And what I'm suggesting is you're going to have to make hard decisions for your family. But you are going to have to lead your family in that. And let me explain. This is the same thing, the difference between the first church that I pastored and the second church that I pastored here. First church, I got fired. Second one, I'm still at least holding on, all right? The first church, I walked in and said, we're going to do things my way is what we're going to do. And then later on, I'd slap on a a Bible tag saying, see, that's what we're going to do. And I learned very quickly when they told me I was fired uh, that that was probably not the best approach to do it. When we came here, this is at least how I've tried to lead. God, if this is where we need to be, let us take a long period of time to begin to teach the word of God, sow that into the people so that they come to the realization of what your truth is. Then it's much easier to say, church, we need to go in this way because everybody's on the same page. Everybody has the same conviction. Are you with me? And that's part of what you're gonna have to work out within your home. And part of that's gonna have to be for you to come and say, listen, I need you to forgive me. I just haven't been the leader that I was supposed to be. We'll talk more about that on the retreat. And finally, listen, we don't need you to be a wimp. And I think that this is probably what we have more than anything. We just, and I'm not gonna get all fleshly and start kicking people and start, yeah, I did that in the first service and I felt guilty afterwards and had to repent. So see how lucky you are for being in here? Here's what I gotta say is, guys, we just don't need a wimp. And the truth of the matter is, by your own indication, you would suggest that spiritually in leading your home, you've just been a wimp in that area. You've just been a wimp in that area. You're scared to death. You're scared to death to pray before your wife. You're scared to death to be able to open up the Bible or just find or even seek out some help because it looks like a weakness to you. But what I'm going to tell you is, man, that's just wimpy. Real men in the real world, when they see something difficult, they head on that challenge. That's what a real man does. He does what is right even though it's difficult. In the spiritual life, it's the same way. Man, it's going to be the most difficult thing that you can be. But quit being so lackadaisical. Start leading your family. Don't put the brunt on your, fam- your wife all the time for her to make sure that everybody is coming to church on Sunday. Say, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, and we're going to come to the house of God, and we're going to worship. We're going to come, and we're going to worship. We're going to be a part of the youth program, the children's program, whatever it is. We're going to make sure that we're pouring the word in, and we're making sure that our church is coming alongside of us, assisting us, and helping us in that same thing, that same call inside of their life. So, guys, we just don't need to be a wimp. We don't need to be a tyrant. What do we need? Loving and humble um, leadership. What does that look like? That's what we're going to talk about next week. But this morning, what I would call out today is this. The only way this is possible is if you've been born again. You can in the flesh, and as a man today, if you're just feeling guilty for the way that your home is going, for you just sit there and go, I'm going to do better, it ain't going to work. The only thing that's going to work is for you to be able to come to the point and you be able to hear the word of God and you take seriously the call of God in your life and you sit there and say, God, forgive me. And now with the spirit of God that dwells in with me, you empower me, strengthen me, lead me to be the man that God wants me to be. And you know what's going to happen? You and I are going to look like fools a whole bunch of times. We're going to feel incredibly uncomfortable. But you know what all that is that keeps saying, stop, don't do it, is our sinful flesh and the enemy trying to keep you to be from all that God wants us to be. So today it begins by you being saved. Are you saved? Are you saved from your sins? Have you repented of your sin and placed your faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ? If not, I'd love to pray with you and lead you in that and show you how to do that. I'll be down here in just a couple minutes. But can we already have some men and have some women 
who are leading and coming and even begin to pray here at this altar and say, you know, God, I want to be all that you want me to be. Start that this morning. Dear Jesus, we come and we pray and we thank you. I thank you for all those who are here. God, I thank you for all those who have come. God, I pray that you would lead us and direct us. Your spirit would move.